the Know Your Gear podcast. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast, episode 349. One more episode to 350, obviously, for those who are good at math. Uh, the first question that I saw that I grabbed was from Ben, who says, Hey, Phil, what Kiesel did you come home with? Of course, uh, I did the Kiesel uh, Connect event last Saturday. Thank you so much. And I know you know, some of you guys want to hear about this. Some of you guys don't. I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I got to talk about the, the stuff that really matters to me, which is I had an amazing time. Uh, Shauna uh, had an amazing time at the event. Um, it was a good recharge for us. We kind of needed it really, really badly. And uh, I got to tell you a funny story. That involved, <laughs> This is uh, my uh, my wife, Shauna, uh, went to me for the first time to the Sweetwater event last year. That was her first time going to an event. She usually doesn't partake in these things. This is her first public event with me. And, uh, you know, she didn't know what to expect. And she had some observations and I want to share them with you. Um, and one uh, that made me particularly laugh pretty hard. Uh, so the uh, so a couple things. I want to say thank you to everyone who came out to the event, everybody who couldn't make it, I understand, but maybe next year, if they do it next year or the year after that. Um, you know, it was great. I tried to make sure I, I met everyone, shook their hand and talked to you guys. If I missed you for some reason or uh, I apologize, but like I said, I was I was out there as as much as I could. Uh, be I only went behind where you guys couldn't get to me just to get water and maybe recharge for a few minutes, and then I was back out into the public again because uh, I wanted to meet every single person who even remotely came because of me. So I wanted to say thank you for that. So hopefully I was able to uh, at least say thank you or or get that uh, out there. You know what? I also have to share a gift I got um, that I left in out of the room, but I'll grab it before, at the end of the show and share with you. Somebody brought me a nice gift and I'd like to share that uh, with you all. Um, and a gift for uh, Shauna as well. So uh, so here's the funny part. So although uh, it was amazing and everybody was great, uh, one of the observations Shauna said was, she goes, man, I, I mean, everybody was so pleasant. And I said, yeah, it's so usually that's how it is. A very pleasant experience. She goes, yeah, like there was no no, no trolls, no jerks. She was like, I thought for sure, you know, somebody would be there just to be kind of like, you know, in the comment section sometimes, you know, in the, on the videos. And I go, and I said, oh, oh no, honey, trolls don't live in the wild. They only live in the internet. <laughs> I don't know why, if that's not funny to you guys, I'm sorry, but it was cracking us up. A five and a half hour drive back from San Diego. We must have laughed for an entire hour over trolls don't live in the wild. They only live in the internet. She said, uh, I told her, I said, I would please make me a shirt that says trolls don't live in the wild. They only live in the internet. Um, I said, I have successfully now met um, thousands of people uh, personally from the YouTube channel and I've never met a single troll. So I said, so I told her, I said, yeah, I have no, no thought process. She thought for sure with that many people there, there's gotta be somebody who makes all the nasty comments on the videos, you know, gonna say something. I said, no, no, they never have any ability to go. I said, I don't know if they just don't say anything, but I, I really believe they just can't go outside. <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. That's her saying from now on, trolls don't live in the wild. They only live in the internet. So, um, so that was really funny. And so she was, uh, she thought that was interesting and, and great. So there you go. Uh, and maybe some of you trolls, maybe you should go outside. <laughs> and stop living a, just in the internet. Um, okay, so the question that I haven't discussed is, uh, he, Ben wants to know, what Kiesel did I come home with? I did not buy a Kiesel. I trust me, I was fighting everything in my power. Um, there's a seven string uh, burl top uh, Vader bolt-on that just, it's super expensive, but man, does it call to me. I really want a seven string Kiesel. That's one of the guitars I don't have. And um is the seven string and I really, really would like one. And I almost tried to justify doing it because there's a, a guitar I could get rid of if I get that one. But um, 
the uh, you know, it's just not a good time. <laughs> it's not a good time. I uh, on a side note, I don't want to get into it, but uh, you know, I, I want to thank everybody. When I told everybody I had sinus issues, I want to thank everybody for sending me lots of stuff. I'd like to point out, I I don't have the sinus issues we thought. I had other issues. Those issues end up being a little traumatic, but we're I think we're on the tail end of whatever the problem is. And um, so so medical issues, what I want to say. So so there were some medical bills that I had to pay that um, they kind of take the suck the the joy out of you when you have to do that stuff. But more importantly, uh, I've told you guys for many years now that my one of my dogs, my my dog has seizures and um, they got a lot worse. And so we had to keep we keep having to switch his meds, which are very expensive. But um, we are now experiencing, if you haven't experienced, and hopefully you guys, no one ever experiences this, what it's like to take dogs to emergency veterinarian hospitals. And uh, it's uh, it basically, it's this, it costs the same as when you take your kids to a hospital. It's the same. And so it's pretty expensive. So um, I just, I'm, I'm just, you know, so no Kiesel for me right now on that. But, you know, so you guys understand, I have a Kiesel coming. As you guys know, I bought a swirl uh I want to say November-ish, you know, uh, and um, I was able to find it at the event. Um, my wife couldn't figure out why I didn't take a picture of it. I don't know why. I didn't take a single picture at the entire event. I think I was just in the moment. I, I really, like I said, I had a tough couple weeks before the event, and, um, and and uh, you know, so it was just really, it was really therapeutic to be out there with you guys. Um, but... To see the swirl guitar, to see that look great, um, I'm excited. Of course, when it gets here, I'm doing a video, uh, and uh, and um, I'll share it with you guys. If, at the very least, it's just an unboxing video or something like that. Um, so, so, so there, there you go. Okay, uh, let's go to the next question. If I'm missing stuff, I'll promise I'll grab some of you guys' comments. Um, this one, it just remind, it's just connected, so I want to get through it. it Romero says, uh, Romero, uh, Romero says, how did you keep the Delos with the floating bridge in tune when you switch between drop D and standard tuning? I was blown away by your demonstration at the Kiesel Connect. So at at the um, a clinic, which I guys, I would told you guys, I would tell you guys eventually, you know, kind of like what I talked about, which most of it was somebody said it best. It's a lot of stuff you'd see on this channel. But then some other stuff too. Um, but one of the things I did do is I did a small demonstration of the Del of the Delos, the PM Delos. And one of the things I showed is how I use it and why I use it the way I do. And one of the things I showed is that I do lightly float the bridge, and I did in real time drop, put it in drop D, play drop D, played in perfectly in tune, and then put it right back in standard tuning. Um, and show you that it stays in tune. And, and um, so the question is, how did I do that? Um, and kind of like I touched on it briefly there, but like I said, it's not magic. It's if you use good quality parts and a, and a person who knows what they're doing puts a guitar together, uh, you're going to have a good guitar, you know? And so it's what's great about that is that's not a price point thing. It's not if you spend $3,000, if you spend $2,000, $1,500. If you use good components and somebody who knows what they're doing puts them together, you're going to end up with a pretty good guitar. I mean, skills plus, you know, uh, plus components, you know what I mean? Quality ingredients with skilled labor, usually you're going to have a very uh, positive. So that's how I was able to do it. I mean, the Godo Bridge is a very good bridge. The guitar is put together very well, and that's how I did it. I did nothing special to the guitar. Um, it's just the way it is. I, I had it. But it's also why I like playing all the time. Uh, Frank Rizzo says, Phil, is it me? Our guitar is getting uh, even more expensive. They uh, So double whammy. They're getting more expensive. Um Sure, I see the prices creeping up, but the deals are what's compounding it. Right now, um, 
there is a deal everywhere for everything. If there's an amp, if there's, uh, you know, if there's a guitar, if it's something's for sale right now, you can find the deal. So, so, uh, you know, I, I know sometimes it sucks because some things are hard to get a deal on because they're very limited. But for the most part right now, I mean, stuff, I mean, think of this, even Mesa Boogie's running a sale. Mesa Boogie used to say, you know, it's our price and suck it. No discounts. Um, I remember, I remember when I bought my Mesa Boogie bass amp and it was damaged. It had, it was a store blimp at a guitar center. And I was like, can I get a discount for the, you know, can I get a new one? And they're like, no, we don't have any new ones. We have these two that are on the floor. And I'm like, oh, can I get a discount? Cause it's got a blimp and had like a, a, a tear on the vinyl and stuff. And they're like, no, Mesa Boogie doesn't allow discounts. And I was like, can you throw in a free cable? And I think the accessory guy's like, I can throw in a cable because it, it won't be a discount. And uh, and then it was missing the foot switch. And I, I don't know if I told the story. It's kind of funny. <laughs> the guitar center this is, um, the guitar center uh, didn't give me the foot switch. So I went back and I said, oh, I the next day I go, I didn't get the foot switch with the bass amp. You know, it's a bass amp, so I wasn't thinking about the foot switch. And they looked and they couldn't find it. And they said, just call Mesa Boogie. So I called Mesa Boogie. This is my pre my YouTube world life. Uh, and Mesa Boogie's like, well, it's supposed to come with a, a foot switch. And I said, I know, but Guitar Center they said they didn't have it. And he goes, well, we gave it to them, so you need to get it from them. I'm like, okay. So I just never got it. <laughs> um, but I still love that amp. I, I, I it was a, it was a, um, a Mesa Boogie Walkabout uh, 112 combo, and I regret selling it to this day. But and I only sold, so you know, I only sold it for one reason. I was using it in the studio a lot, and the fan was a little loud and. Uh, it would come up sometimes when I'd mic because I wasn't using the DI. And I, I kind of wish I just would have hooked up a switch to the fan to turn it off for recording and kept it. But instead, I got rid of it. But my point is, is even Mesa Boogie's running deals now. And that's just unheard of. I mean, anybody who knows Mesa Boogie, it's it's hard to get a deal. Um, I have a friend who's a Mesa Boogie, most Mesa Boogie dealer. And he would, you know, kind of give me tax out the door on stuff. But even that was tough. So, so like I said, there are deals, man. There are deals out there. So, you know, to be had, no matter how much the prices are going up, the deals are to be had for a while, it looks like. So, um, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, great. This is a great segue. Susan says, you mean somebody waited on you at Guitar Center. You must not be a boomer. <laughs> I'm, I'm close to a boomer. I'm like pre-boomer boomer. I don't, I don't really see the difference, to be honest with you, between a Gen X and a boomer at this point. I, I'm sure that offends both both parties now. But uh, here's my point, uh, what I'm getting to. I did not buy a guitar, but I did buy something. Uh, so I, I hooked up with John. Uh, he's a patron. Uh, he was able, he was in town uh, for on Sunday. And so he, we met him and his wife at this amazing uh, little uh, breakfast place. I don't know if amazing is the right word. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good breakfast place. We had breakfast, and then uh, my wife took notice that there was a guitar center down the street, and then she, um, I think she was done sitting at the restaurant because, you know, we've been sitting there eating for a while, and she's like, you guys want to go to Guitar Center? And we're like, well, if you're going to make us, we'll go. You know, I mean, actually, we're like, we'd rather just get another cup of coffee. <laughs> just kidding. Of course, we're like, yes, let's go. So uh, we got out of there, and we went to the Guitar Center. The Guitar Center was in Sa San Marcos. Uh, the, the address, I have the receipt here. It's 712 Center Drive, San Marcos, California. Now, why this is interesting is I'd been to that store before. I was there with actually Marty Swartz uh, when I did some videos. And, um, you know, it was a store. It was nothing exciting. But I got to tell you, I had one of the best experiences I've ever had at a guitar center. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because, you know, a lot of times uh, some people think I'm harsh about Guitar Center. And I've always said this. The people at Guitar Center, I always want to always separate the people from things. 
I can have an issue with a person, an employee, but that doesn't mean that's the company. I can have an issue with a company, but that doesn't mean that's always all the employees or most employees. With Guitar Center, there's some policies I don't agree with. Uh, you know, as a consumer, as a customer, there's things I don't like, as I've pointed out. But I've had great experiences with the employees. This was probably the hands down the best experience I've ever had at a Guitar Center. Um, so um, we were we went in there. Me and John went uh, rabid through the guitars, as you do. Um, and uh, playing stuff, and the uh, manager, and I hope it was the assistant manager, if the guy who, I forgot, I didn't, I forgot his name, I should have wrote it on the receipt, I apologize, he was a very tall gentleman, and uh, super nice, he came up to us with the manager, so I think he's the assistant manager, uh, if the manager of Guitar Center and San Marco sees this podcast, if that guy's not the assistant manager, uh, he needs to be, anyways, uh, they came up to us and introduced themselves and said that they were uh, fans of the channel, and uh, which was super kind, right, and you, I know you guys are like, of course they did that, but that's not usually the case, um, you know, um, I usually can't go, if I go to a, most music stores, there's usually the manager or the owner or employee will say hi if they know the channel. Um, but usually guitar center is, is like, a, is one of the nice things I can get in and out without anybody seeing me or knowing I was there for the most part. Um, and, uh, this was not the case. They were super kind. In fact, uh, uh, they were everybody there was amazing um i met a couple uh, customers that were really nice to me too so of course you know hey look i had such a good experience i had to buy something so i was looking for strings or anything to buy some accessories and i saw a gonna guys gonna laugh i saw a used prs mt15 <laughs> and so i told you guys at christmas time i bought a uh evh stealth uh, LBX because I because it can get uh, quieter you know at night than the uh, MT15. Somebody even said on that show the MT15 sounds better than the Stealth, and I said I agree, but it doesn't get as quiet. Well, now that I have the Black Mountain volume pedal, um, I can put in the effects loop with the MT15. So I bought the MT15. I'm selling the Stealth now, so you know that's going to be gone. Um, so that's how I justified it because I can sell the Stealth um, for. MT15. It's over there in the corner. I should have put it in the shot. So I bought a used MT15. I'm back to owning a Paul Reed Smith MT15, which I'm really happy about. And of course, as soon as I plugged into it, I was like, man, why did I ever get rid of this amp? It sounds so good. Except for the fact, like I said, sometimes it's hard to get to a little quieter volumes. But, um, but I, but I put the volume knob in the, our volume control in the effects loop and it's working fine. It sounds great. And they gave, uh, and like I said, it was a good deal because it was used. The employees were great. And I wanted to share that with you because, you know, not every experience is going to be negative, obviously. So I was great. And I, I hope, I hope that, and that store was clean, com you know, comparatively, the inventory was really displayed really well. It was a good store, man. It just shows you what people can do. You know, um, that store was a very, you know, because uh, guitar centers have layers of stores. I don't know what the the some of the some of the some of the people who watch the show are guitar center employees and they know that there's different types of stores there's like a stores or b stores or c stores this is one of their smaller stores so it's, it doesn't have the private room and stuff you know with the exotic guitar and stuff but even then it was a well-stocked store and it was well put together and it was a good vibe we hung out for a while um and uh it was really really cool so i just wanted to say that tell the story share the story of me buying uh by the way this does not mean still the blues juniors the record at four blues juniors i've bought and sold four blues juniors in my life the mt15 is now the runner-up at three this is my third <laughs> brs mt15 and it's my last i'm not getting rid of it i don't care what happens i'm gonna keep it forever <laughs> i don't care what it takes uh, so, you know, it's a really good amp and it just punches above its weight. And so if anyone's curious what I paid, I paid 400 or $575.
So, so I thought that was pretty reasonable. So $575. So there you go. Um, and you know, one of the cool things about, I forgot, and then I'm going to share this last thing. One of the cool things I forgot when you go and you buy, you know, you're out of town and you go to guitar center and you buy something, especially used, you know, you get it and you never, you know, you never know, do I still like it in a couple of days or will it be as good? Cause it's used is going to have problems. And it's really nice. Cause I, I, when I got home, I realized like, um, yeah, if I have any problems, I could take it to the guitar center here, which is really cool. So I was like, I forgot. That's another cool thing. The guitar center does. So that was my experience. I just wanted to share that with you. And mostly just to always, uh, I try to be as even and fair about every situation. I don't want anybody to think that I'm hammering one company and liking another company. It's not about that. I share the experiences I have. That was a great experience. Um, so, you know, when I was telling my wife on the way home, my great experience, she told me that um, she had a great experience at the guitar center too, because she was staying away from us with uh, her and John's wife were staying away from us so we could just run amok. And she said people came up, the employees came up to her, asked her if they needed anything, super nice. So she had a pleasant experience too. So when I told her my experience, she had one to give back. So really cool. All right. So there you go. Hopefully you guys will, hopefully. So if you live in San Marcos, check out that guitar center. So tell them I said hi. Tell them uh, I had a great experience. Okay. Um, let's keep going through stuff. What do we got to share? We have uh, Maddie. Maddie says, uh, Phil, I have a set of Fender Shawbuckers. Two of them, I assume. Uh, he goes, okay, so uh, that's what a set is. Uh, this is uh, on... On each of them, the resistance is 3.6K, not the 7.8 as stated by Fender. What would cause this? Are they defective? Uh, ironic that it's both. Uh, no, I don't think you have defective pickups in the way that you think they're defective. This is a problem. I've had it about six times in my life, six, half a dozen times, but quite that's quite a few times to have it happen. Um, I've had it happen with Seymour Duncan. I've definitely had it done with Fender. And then after that, it would probably be other brands that I just don't remember. But I definitely remember Seymour Duncan. First, the first time I ever experienced this was a Seymour Duncan. But I did experience with a Fender as well. What is happening is... Um, now, I apologize because I don't remember the Shawbuckers wiring codes, the wiring color codes. But what's happening is whoever assembled the pickup hooked up the colors incorrectly to the terminals. So inside, and I say terminals, I mean they soldered to the wires incorrectly. So let me give you exactly exactly what's happening. In your case, um, let's say for for an example that red is hot and that green and bare are ground and the black and white tied together go to something is is the uh, coil split or if you're not connecting anything, they go together um, to make it just a full humbucker. Um, and that's what the let's say that's what the the instructions are saying, and that's what their website's saying. What's happened sometimes, like I said, about a half a dozen times now, is that an employee can solder it to the wrong, the wires incorrectly. And so what's happening is somewhere in that color color band of wires, the red is, the real hot wire is hiding. So um, for instance, the black might be the hot and the red, and so that now the red and white need to go together or the white might be the hot, right? So what you need to do is, it's super easy. There's not that many variables is, um, is uh, play with that. Take, take, obviously I would assume, look, and it's going to be really hard for the green and the bear not to be the ground. It's going to be really difficult because of the way you solder it to the plate and stuff. Um, so it's really hard if they mess that up. What's most likely is you have three wires and it's going to be red, 
white, and black. And what you want to do is play with those combinations. So maybe put the, if there, it says red is hot, put red and white together and check the black and see if that's now the hot. And if that's not, then, you know, take the red and black together and make the white the hot. You see what I'm saying? And then at somewhere when you do this combination, I hope this makes sense, one of those wires are going to give you the, the correct reading of 7.8K. And then you're going to be like, all right. But what's happening right now is your, your pickup is split. That's why it's giving you um, a half a reading half the resistance you you want to see so that is um what i would be shocked if it's something else but that's because that is not a common thing but i've seen it enough times to know it can happen um so there you know so there you there you go uh try that maddie and let me know next week don't have to super chat it i saw by, by the way maddie thank you for posting early on the show today um i had already pinned you from when you emailed it to the uh, know your gear website. So I'm glad that you did it both. It made it easy for me. So like I said, you can follow up through the know your gear website. I will look for the question or uh, for the response to see if that solved your issue. Uh, oh, by the way, the other thing is if it's not all that, what I just said, then what's probably happening is you have a dead coil and they it's something's wrong. And so both are actual single coils. Again, it can happen. The first situation is more likely than the second, but the second is possible as well. Uh, Fred Flintstone says, uh, Fred says, Phil, my 2012 USA Strat suddenly developed some fret sprout, probably due to my dry furnace air. Will it revert back to normal in the humid summer air or should I file the ends? So it is possible to revert back. You know, um, it's really hard to expand wood back out. Once wood dries, like think about this, wood's dead. You killed it, right? We chopped down the tree and it's dead. It's dead and it's going to want to constantly keep shrinking, barring that you don't stick it and submerge it in water. And then it just, you know, kind of like a sponge, you know, sponges out. Um, but it's really hard to get moisture back into wood that is dead. So uh, can you uh, hydrate it? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, a lot of times people think they're hydrating their acoustics. They are, but sometimes we're really just trying to stop the, de the dehydration, the, 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 the water being removed from the wood. Because um, like I said, it's hard to put the wood water back in. It is possible to slow it down or restrict how the wood dries. Um, in your case, you can, you don't have to wait until the summer. What I would do with the guitar, if you if you don't want to do uh, fret sprout ends, is um, I did a quick uh, short video on this. You just go and get yourself a clean sponge. Um, I would use distilled or purified water. Use something clean because obviously just, just for purposes, it makes it easy. Pour the water into the sponge, put it in a Ziploc bag and take a razor blade to make some slits like fish gills, uh, like sharks, you know, three slots, uh, three slits uh, on each side and just throw it in the case with the guitar. Don't put the sponge directly on the guitar, obviously. And um, it's depending on your climate, and your situation, it could be gone in 24 hours. For 24 hours, the sponge will be hard and dry. If you live where I live, it's not going to last even 24 hours. Uh, some of you guys, it might last days, but you want to take uh, notice to it because once the sponge is dry, it's not a humidifier anymore. It's a dehumidifier. So it'll actually start stealing the water back out of the air uh, inside the case. But um, definitely do that. And that might help as well. Um, if, if that works, then you're good to go. If it doesn't, then you definitely want to correct the fret sprout. Here's the good part. Um, I've to been told many times by only by viewers, never anyone else 
ever that you know like if you correct fret sprout then when the the neck uh you know swells because it gets more moisture then the frets are going to be shorter than the length of fretboard i've never experienced that ever in my life i'm not saying it's not possible i've just never seen it in all my travels and i've never met anybody who does repair work at any level that's seen it to, without an extreme you know what i mean like somebody went to town crazy so what i'm basically saying is a lot of times if you do some light fret and dress on your guitar you don't have to worry about if it does get that moisture back in summer, all of a sudden like my frets are not to the end of the fretboard. That's, it's not that dramatic. Like I said, it's, it's so either way you're good to go. You can, uh, do either one of those or, um, you know, uh, or, you know, like I said, do the fret and dress, uh, in Bain official says, put it in the bathroom and take a shower. That's another thing. Like I said, I don't uh, recommend you put it in the bathroom. Um, per se, uh, my house is a more modern style house, which means I don't have a door into my bathroom for my master bedroom. Like it's just an archway thing. And then, you know, it's like a big, you know, in the bathroom. Um, so what I do is when I take a shower, I just have the guitars on stands in the bedroom, uh, near the, the entry to the bathroom. You could take it in the bathroom, but my concern is just, just because stay away from steam and a lot of moisture. Again, don't try to, don't make this a fast process. It's not going to go well. <laughs> in other words, if you try to make out your guitar get a ton of moisture real fast, you'll just oxidize hardware. You'll just, I mean, nothing will go well. It's a slow process to get the moisture out. It's a slow pro process to see if the moisture goes back into the fretboard. So, uh, so there you go. Um, but like I said, the good thing is, um, and also if it helps, I've never really expensed, uh, experienced more than two uh, fret and dresses on a guitar, um, as an, as a normal experience. So in other words, like I've seen a guitar, um, you know, the, the fretboard shrinks, the fret sprout, you do a fret and dress and maybe, I don't know, 30% of the time you might experience it again in the guitar's lifetime where it shrank a little bit more and then you get a little bit more fret sprout, but odds are after you've done about one or two fret sprout corrections, that's it. It's it. It's not going to do it again. The, the neck is shrunk enough and everything's kind of settled. And I've never experienced the other way, unless of course somebody just went too crazy on the fret ends that if it expanded a little bit out, it would be short of that and it'll be fine. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, believable says, or buy a Framus and never have to worry about fret sprout. Yeah, it is nice. It's, uh, it's like I said, I wish I could say more companies, but even Paul Reed Smith's get fret sprout, which are really bad when they get that because if you especially have the old finishes, I had fret sprout on my S2 and that's the old version. So of course it pushed the finish off the fretboard and, uh, and it's a, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass to say the least. Um, and you know, Kiesel's can get fret sprout. Anybody can get fret sprout. I, I like said, it's the frame is the only guitars, the, the master built, the, the, the team built master built stuff. It's the only stuff I've ever seen where they, they don't get fret sprout. So, but that's the luxury of making really expensive guitars and only a few at a time. And I'm sure there's some small luthiers uh, that do that same kind of high quality, low volume where they can source the wood correctly. But so, you know, the main reason the frame stuff doesn't fret sprout is because they have one of the largest, craziest collections of wood and they sit on their wood for so long. Insert an appropriate joke there to that statement, I guess. Okay, uh, let's go. Let's keep going. What do we got? What else do we got? Um, DWC says, hey, Phil, any insight on how to price 
a parts caster and what is reason what is reasonable uh, to expect. Uh, selling a parts caster is a nightmare. I don't recommend it if you can't you know get away from it. Um, anytime you mod a guitar, I've said this before. This is why I'm so hard on the whole. Every time I've done a modification to a guitar, I've told you like this is how you remove it. You want to make it to where you can remove it, and no one know what happened. Um, you never get that money. You know, you upgrade the pickups in the guitar, you're not getting that money. You upgrade the tuning keys, all those stuff, components, you're not getting that money. No one wants to pay for it. Um, you buy all the best, I've said this before, if you buy all the absolute best stuff, we all have seen it. There's a thousand of you um, watching right now. We've all seen it on Reverb, on Craigslist, on everywhere. You could go and get the best wood body from Warmoth, the top of the line, the best neck, top of the line, stainless steel frets, the most expensive pickups. You can put the Lawler pickups in there. You can put, you know, whatever you want, the crazy, you know, pickups in there. The best components, the Borns capacitor, our Borns pitchometers. <coughs> Excuse me. You can put all the best components on that guitar. And it's not even cl worth close. And and every once in a blue moon, somebody you will find somebody who will buy it, but very rarely that that happen. So my advice to you is, I mean, you can try and sell it. I mean, don't don't. There's nothing wrong with trying. Okay, put a reasonable price that you would like to get for it. And put it out there and see. I could be totally wrong, and I hope I am because that will benefit you. But if you notice that all you're getting is either no, uh, you know, no one's biting on it or you're getting a lot of kick the tires like, man, I'll do it for 30 bucks, whatever. You know, they throw you low ball offers. I would consider taking it apart and selling the components. Um, and then, you know, and and I mean, it's going to be more it's going to be worth more sometimes in parts. I know that's a pain to do it that way, but it's just the reality of it. Sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's going to be worth more in parts. So that would be my, my advice. Try and sell it. But if you don't, and I end up being right on that front, uh, part it out. And, uh, and then, or use some of the parts for some other project and then part out the rest. But either way, part it out. Um, that's just my thoughts on that. Okay. Um, oh, speaking of parts, I need to share because it never happens. Oh, it's never happened before. <laughs> um, huh. I don't have it. See, I want to share it and I don't. Um, this is, um, so I got a, I got a note. I get notes from the moderators and my wife is one of the moderators and she sent me a note and she wanted uh, a viewer asked about this on the, sh on the um, uh, Know Your Gear podcast website. And I'm just going to share with you real quick. Um, it we for the first time, and I, I think since I've started, I actually have some pickups in stock. Um, you guys went crazy, and thank you for that. You guys bought a bunch of pickups, especially Northern Lights and Chromes. It seems to be the number one selling pickup that we sell by far. And uh, anyways, I got a little behind on them, and so to not have that problem again, I finished all the orders, shipped them out, but I made extras. So she said she got a couple emails from somebody saying, when will they be in stock again? They're in stock now. So there's a few, like a couple, but I'm just letting you guys know for anyone that's curious. Um, so there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, Amanda sent me a ton of questions. Let me grab a <laughs> one of the 50. Amanda's on it. Okay. Um, uh, this is from Clyde. He says, Phil, can you tell how good an amp or guitar is by watching a YouTube video? Absolutely. Sure, of course. 
Now, I mean, come on. I mean, not you know, uh, with you know, no doubts or anything. But sure, you can approximate it. I do it all the time. That's how I buy gear. I didn't start making content first. Obviously, I was watching content, and I was. Uh, now, you can be duped as well as you can make an informed decision. I don't really subscribe to the people who say like, "Oh, I can tell." I mean, you can tell, but I mean, the it's the credibility of who's presenting is really important because they can they can fudge it, you know. And there's more to it than you think. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, a company paid for a video, so of course they made it sound good." Look, people's egos come into play here. You know, um, I. I I've done videos of products that I just thought were not that great and I've done the video and it is a fair, honest kind of representation and dude, I get, I get pummeled for it. They're like, man, that sounded horrible, Phil. You, it sounded horrible. I'm like, yeah, it, it, it's not my, it's not me. <laughs> That's how it sounded. Just like when you guys, oh, it sounded great, Phil. I'm like, right. It sounded great. That's not me either. Um, <laughs> so I try to keep it as, um, I try to keep it as true to what's in the room as possible. It's a very tricky process. So yeah, there's a little bit of that can throw you off, especially if they're multi-layering the tracks. There's uh, YouTubers that I like and I appreciate what they do, but I mean, I can listen now with my experience of doing this for years. I can hear four tracks of guitar layered thick. I'm like, oh, and they go, this is what it sounds like. I'm like, yeah, after it's been quad tracked. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, yeah, can you approximate? Sure, of course. And I think that's all you're really doing. Like I said, I, I was a, the saying I like is still, you know, we used to try before we buy, and now we buy before we try. And so we're really just trying to reduce the returns and stuff. You know, it's just like it's just like Amazon, right? You're, you're, you're looking online, and they got a picture, and you're trying to figure it out. So you read a couple of reviews, and from the reviews, you can't, you know, and you just kind of approximate how happy you think will be you'll be if you get this product. And so you, you don't have to limit the, the you know, the the... The agony of return. It's not a fun experience. So can you tell how good an amp and a guitar is by watching a YouTube video? Sure, I think so. Um, I've done it, so I can imagine other people have done it. Um, but it is it is a little bit into the how what how you trust the your channel. Um, and um, and also, you know, that's the best thing about YouTube and this environment is there's multiple channels to watch and and do. Um, you know, watch and, and check out. You know, um, I, I had an experience. I think I told you this experience. I bought a guitar and um, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I was so excited about it. Oh, and um, the reason I hated it was it didn't look anything like the video I watched. I watched a YouTube video and I would have never, I'm not going to tell you who because I'm, I'm not going to tell you what guitar um, because that's not the important part of the story. The important part of the story is, is that um, I got this guitar and I was kind of bummed. And the reason I was bummed is not that it didn't sound great. It sounded amazing. It was not anything close to the color I saw in the video. I always just assumed, you know, like, oh, when I got it, I'm like, maybe mine's different, right? The one they shipped me is different. It is a solid color, not a piece of wood or anything, but I was like, oh, maybe it was this camera. I don't know. And then one day, you know, what are the odds this would happen? One day I met that YouTuber and we were talking and I mentioned, you know, just like the first time I ever met Pete Thorne, I mentioned that I bought a Fender 59 basement and the, uh, and the, um, Carl Martin uh, pedal. Oh, what pedal was it? The, the the Plexi pedal. I bought that because of his video. So to this YouTuber, I was just trying to say something nice. Like, hey, just, you know, I bought this guitar because of your video. And and they said, oh, cool, man. That's that great. And then, uh, you know, and then I said, um, 
Yeah, the only thing that sucked was it didn't look anything like the, gu the guitar in your video. And uh, I thought it was kind of dull looking. It just, just didn't like pop like yours. And he goes, oh, I know. He goes, it just didn't photo well. So I color graded the video and I kind of just did it, you know, did it like he like photoshopped it. And he goes, it looks great that way. And then I was like, I was a little bit like, oh, my heart is a little sad, a little sad. Because I was like, oh, well, that explains it. And uh, and then I Googled color grade because I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? Um, so uh, that's why I do it. Uh, that's why I don't I don't color grade the videos that way. What I do in most videos, you know, for colors is I always try to make sure I have three different cameras that have three different types of way of grabbing light and I have two different rooms. So I try to give you as many shots of that as possible. But, you know, like I said, like you guys, we have to approximate. I wasn't screwed, by the way. I wasn't upset because that guitar, um, in that particular case, I did not return it. I just end up selling it but again it didn't it wasn't financial uh distress from that situation um but uh, you know i made my best guess so that's what you have to kind of do too make your best guess but yeah you can definitely tell uh my knees hurt says uh bass cab head that can keep up with drums thousand dollars man that's pretty easy now i would say um you know, you say drums, and I always, of course, as a bass player, always think of how keeping up with a guitar player. Drummers are not as—they're not as problematic as the guitar players can get. The guitar players, to me, drive the drummers, right? Like the louder the guitar player gets, the harder the drummer hits. You know, and that gets crazy. Um, so, you know, I, I like the Harky stuff a lot. I like Harky. I like the Fender Rumble stuff. I think, if given a choice, I'd pick Harky over Fender Rumble. Um, you know, at, in today's day and age, anything uh, for a for a drummer, a 410 or 115, either one of those or both are definitely going to compete. No problem. You can get away with a lot, depending with most drummers with a 112. I'm not a big fan of a 110 cab for bass for drummers and 210 cabs will definitely uh, just like the 112. 210s and 112s are for normal drummers that are not like metal or not, you know, beating the crap out of the drum sets. If you're going to have a drummer's really hitting hard, uh, I would definitely go with something more, less like a 210 and 112 and go with like a 410 and 115. The other thing I would keep in mind is with bass amps, wattage wise, it gets a little tricky because the wattages really don't matter anymore. They tell you like a thousand watts, 500 watts, 400 watts, but really what's going on anymore in that stuff is really you know, it's really hard to tell. Um, here's what I will tell you. I, 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 there's very few bass amps on the market that have 500 watts and up that I can't use for a drum set with a drum set. That's a good safe spot. Um, I like to use the, I would say three to one, right? That's, that's good. I don't even, you know, three to one. So in other words, uh, two watts to the to the class D amps. So if it's a 50 watt tube amp guitar amp that's playing and the drummer's playing along with that, I would say you want at least uh, three to five times that. So you can, you know, you get the idea. 150 watts will probably do it solid state or, you know, maybe 300 watts solid state. But if you're really concerned about it and you want to make sure you never have a situation where you're not holding up, I think 500 watts is the, you can get away with, you know, everything. Uh, but so, you know, I use 200 watts all the time, no problem, solid state or class D. So it's, it's again, it's a pretty easy thing. It's, and so, you know, you get, like I said, there's those Rumble 112 cabinets, you know, uh, our combos are great, but it's thousand bucks. I would just get a nice 410 and a head, uh, 500 watts or greater. If you get a thousand watt head, you're definitely going to never going to need all of that. You'll be set forever and ever and ever and ever. 
And a lot of people are throwing out some other amps like Dark Glass and stuff like that. It's really, I mean, there's a lot of great amps. That's what's great. I, you know, good stuff. I don't want to say the name, so I'll just say the question. Hey, Phil, recently switched to short scale bass due to a wrist injury. Any tips on strings, etc.? Um, for short scale bass, I use um, 45 to 105s. I don't like to put the smaller strings. So on full scale, 34 inch scale basses, I play 40 to 100s, uh, which are on the light end. I used to play 40s to 95s, but I like the 40 to 100s now. Uh, that's what I use on every single full scale, size scale, scale base. Every medium and short scale base, I use the 45 to 105s. Uh, the shorter the scale, you want those bigger strings. They don't buzz as much and they're still easy to play. And it's not gonna hurt you on bass because uh, odds are you're not gonna do a whole lot of bending anyways. So the gauge, and it'll make it easier to get the action lower. Pretty, probably better for you. Um, Robert, <laughs> that is very, very phonetic, buddy. <laughs> R-A-W-W-W-B-U-R-R-R-R-T, Robert. That's that's hooked on phonics all the way down. Hello, thoughts on aluminum necks. I got one and love it, but it's for sure different. I have played, um, I played the Illuminati neck. They sent one out and I played a guitar. I got a neck and put it on a guitar. Um, I really liked it a lot. It was really cool. Only thing that was weird for me was uh, everybody's like, "Oh, it you know does it not stay in tune the lights and the heat?" And I, I didn't have any issues there. But what it was weird was it's cold. It's like a different experience. You know, you're like touching the neck cold. Um, here it felt great. <laughs> you know, it's 80 degrees outside and neck feels cold. It's kind of nice. Um, but uh, I would imagine in you know when it's snowing and stuff, it's not gonna feel good. But I, I liked it a lot. The Illuminati neck. I did not try. There's another competitor of theirs. They sent a bunch of guitars to YouTubers, but uh, you know, I didn't make that list, so I never got to compare. I never got to try the competitor's neck, um, but the Illuminati neck was very nice. I would recommend that neck um, very much so. They talked about sending a base neck, and then I didn't hear from them, but, you know, that happens. So, but it was a really cool neck. Uh, Jonathan says, hey, Phil, what are your thoughts on the exotic figure top woods? They look good, but I'm always worried I will dent or nick them. Which ones do you like best? So I'm not an exotic wood type person. I know I mentioned earlier that I like that Burl uh, Vader bolt-on, but I don't know. I just like the way it looked, but that's not usually the type of... I mean, look at behind me. I mean, painted, 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 <laughs> painted, <laughs> uh, and then painted... Um, painted guitar and so you know there's some wood ones like obviously cherry or like you know sunburst sunburst you know not i think the only exotic wood guitar is the heritage right there and the koa that kiesel sent me and the irony of that oh and of course the one nathan made me which is the flame top one was really good so the irony now is if you look at this wall right here with these three beautiful wood top guitars uh they have something in common um, I didn't pick them. <laughs> Nathan made me one and sent it to me. It's beautiful. I love it. Kiesel sent that one to me. Uh, and, uh, I love the way it plays and sounds, but the look is great, but that's not what I care about. I, I love the way it plays and sounds. And Heritage sent that to me, but they picked out this. Exo I would have got a, a, just a plain top if they would have said, okay. But they were like, you know, a lot of companies, when they send a guitar out to the channel, um, if they do exciting stuff, they would like you to pick the exciting stuff. So a lot of times when companies, I go, Hey, I'd love, they like, we'd like to send a guitar and maybe do a video. And I go, great. I'll take, you know, just 
you know, blue and they go, wow, you know, we kind of really want to show off what we do. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right, send me the exciting thing that is. So I'm not an ex, ex you know, a really super into exotic woods. Um, it's not a thing I'm into um, so much. So I don't know why that is. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's gorgeous stuff. I mean, I do have a few, but the majority of my guitars are just painted. Um, so I think it's, Probably because of what you said, I, you know, I, I, I nick almost every guitar. I've, I, I don't know what it is. I have a curse, man. As soon as I get a guitar, I'm like, a, sometimes I bump it or something. I don't know. So that's why, I don't know. Uh, hey, Phil, uh, had fret sprout last year on one of my guitars. I'm starting to feel like it's coming back. How many times can you get it? Ah, see, we just answered that for you. Uh, about two times, I would say. Uh, it, can it be more than that? I've, I've seen it three times. I've never, I don't remember ever seeing a guitar that had its frets uh, had to be corrected more than three times. But I've, I've seen it three times. Two, and I live, like I said, in a very extremely dry climate. So two times is, is, normal like i wouldn't worry um because the next shrinks and you do it and it's just not done shrinking yet like i said they got to shrink down a little bit so it's it's natural it's what the wood wants to do like i said all the remember the guitar started being manufactured with them trying to remove the moisture i mean that's the whole key to the guitar is get all that get all that moisture out of there so uh so it's just doing what it's supposed to do it's just going down the road it's just a long time ago they used to dry the wood long enough before we ever saw the guitars and before the guitars ever got to us, we never saw this fret sprout like we do now. Now they got to flip the guitars fast, even the expensive ones. Uh, Richard says, any thoughts on the Schecter PT line, especially the SLS Elite? Seems like a great guitar. I did a, a review of a PT one, um, and I absolutely love that guitar. I've always been a fan of the PT, uh, PT line of Schecter guitars, the Telecaster. I'm a huge Schecter fan. There's my Schecter right there. Uh, you know... Um, when John and I uh, were hanging out at the Guitar Center, I'm one of our, some of our favorite guitars we picked up I, was the Schecters. We were picking up Schecters that were made in Korea that were just fantastic. Um, you know, they're fun guitars. I, I kind of wish, you know, Schecter would ship guitars to the channel again. They used to ship some to, for, for the deep dives, and I, I love guitars like that because they do well on the deep dives. When I say well, it's like, look, I, the, you know, when there's guitars have issues, it makes the video longer. <laughs> Because then I got to correct the issue and then show what the issue is and how, you know, give a suggestion on how to fix it. So, um, although it, it makes, I think, better content for the entertainment value if there's a problem with the guitar, because again, you know, you go, oh, it's a tech tip and there's a little insert in the video that maybe makes it a little bit more exciting. Um, for me, though, it's a lot, I don't want to say funner, it's a lot better if the, the guitar does well, <laughs> because it just... I just go, you know, I get to get, get, get to the end. Uh, Bill says, can you, can I plug two four ohm cabs into my Mesa rectifier? It has a four ohm outputs and eight ohm that d I don't use. I don't remember Mesa boogie has, um, I know Mesa boogie does like weird stuff and I don't want to confuse you because I know they like they, you can do stuff where you can use their uh, eight ohm and their four ohm and then it will be into eight ohm. Um, what I can tell you is that although I've done videos about ohms and stuff, there's uh, Mesa Boogie specifically has really good uh, literature on their website and on their manuals. So if you don't have the Mesa rectifier manual, you can get it online and it'll help you exactly with that. So I can go through it and guess it out, but I wouldn't just tell you the resource is there. Um, because it's, I, I even had to do this once with a Mesa Boogie because the same thing I had a, I had a, 
uh, I think an eight ohm and a four ohm cab. And I was like, what do I do with this? And I want to run both cabs and believe it or not in the manual, it showed me what to do. And I just did it. So in my experience, the thing I, I kind of lean towards uh, is more ohms, uh, more resistance from the cabs, the better, right? You want more resistance because the amp doesn't get as loud, but it also doesn't remember the low resistance is what can cause the amp to get really hot and burn up. So more resistance, the better. But for that, I would look that up. Southpaw 007, do you have any good tone settings you're willing to share for your Mesa Mark V V25? Yeah, it's, it's super easy. Um, it's uh, Ola England settings. Uh, when I bought my Mark V, when I bought my Mark V25, which I've now had, believe it or not, for almost 10 years, it's getting close. Um, I absolutely, I told this story before, I'll make it brief. I bought that amp, I absolutely hated it. It was sounding like, dog poop. I could not believe anyone would buy this amp. I could not figure it out. And then I was like, I can't believe I bought this. I'm so sad. I was depressed. Uh, I was like, what a horrible purchase. And then I go, I saw, sought out the internet. And there was this uh, video from Ole England where he was like playing the amp. And unlike some of the stuff now, uh, it was more, he used to do like a longer, more detailed kind of thing. And, um, you know, and uh, less produced, but more detailed you know, a different style of video for back in the day. And in there he was like, oh, here's the trick. And it was the most unintuitive thing I've ever seen. He's like, bass zero, treble zero, <laughs> mid-range zero, what, what? And it was like, what? And then it did, and it sounds amazing. And that's exactly how I have mine set up to this day. It's pretty much exactly like how Ole England does in that video. So just uh, Google Ole England Mesa Boogie Mark 525, and that'll give you a starting point. From there you can manipulate it, but you got to get past the... If you come at that amp like a normal amp, if you try to use your your Marshall logic, if you try to use your Fender logic, if you try to use your other amp logic with your Mesa, you are going to be sad. It's going to make you sad because it's going to sound so bad. So, um, so there you go. All right, what else? Next, we have Sunny says, hey, Phil, whammy, whammy just broke off in my vintage style Strat block. Have any, have any experience with a Wilkinson or any recommendations? for pushing strat tremolos sure um yes so i think i just want to make sure i thought you were maybe asking me how to get it out of there i use a tap out that i have that will work um it works i i've had no problem doing that um but uh have any experience with wilkson or any other recommendations pushing strat tremolos sure i i mean i like the fender uh pushing style tremolo i like the goto style tremolos i like wilkinson stuff wilkinson stuff is a very affordable but if given opportunity of a tremolo, um, a two like a two point tremolo, um, I, I think my favorites would definitely be the and not in this particular order. Just these are my go tos. I always have the Vega trim, the Godo, the uh, and the hip shot are like the three go tos for me. <laughs> the Goto is a go to. Those three, I never had a bad experience with any one of those. I'm always happy with it, so I'm good. Wilkinson is a bridge I've never, I've never had a huge amount of complaints for, and uh, I do have some, but I do kind of go to those three a lot more often. Um, is it Callahan? They also make a good bridge too. Uh, I have one guitar with that, but I always forget them because they're kind of expensive. I'm always like, and I think they're great, and you know, it's like, are they they're worth the money, whatever that means, by by. But I mean, Goto and Hipshot and Wilkinson and uh, Vega Trim, I think, are a little bit more price friendly for for the most part. Um, uh, 
Uh, let's see. Don says, hey, Phil, any opinion about the new Seymour Duncan P90 Tele Bridge pickup ceramic magnet and uh, 9.25K? Okay. Seems like a $200 made in Mexico Tele standard pickup. Yeah, except for, I don't remember. I'll have to check my, I have a, a, a ceramic bar uh, Tele made Mexico pickup downstairs. I'll have to check to see what the resistance is, see how much wires on that thing. So my guess is Seymour Duncan, if they're getting it to 9.25K, uh, um, I, I haven't looked at it, but I would imagine what's happened is a very tall bobbin. So um, think about it this way. It's just about how, how much wire you want to wrap on this damn thing, right? The ceramic magnet is a big part of that. Then it's got, you got to get a lot of wire on there. That's where that resistance is coming from. So they probably made the, the bobbin a little taller and that way they can get more winds on it. So my guess is, yeah, maybe spec kind of like the Made in Mexico um, uh, tele pickups from Fender, but maybe taller and more wire on it. So really cool idea. Obviously, I, I like it. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'm you know I'm a big fan of tel, uh, P90s and tellies and the mix and matches of those. Uh, Jinx says, Phil, what exact color exact did you like the most of the? Oh, of the Steinberger when you went to the guitar shop on your Maui vacation. Um, I don't remember the colors. I remember black. I don't remember what colors they had. And I thought there was white. Let's look. Steinberger. Um, I mean, I'm looking online. I, there's yellow. I didn't remember a yellow one. They had white. I mean, it's white. If I was going to get a, a Steinberger uh, guitar, I would get white. I, I'm, I'm very predictable. <laughs> Not because it's a solid color. I, I tend to want the colors of, you know, like I said, I'm, a, I'm an MTV generation kid. Before I played guitar, like I said, I started playing guitar in 89. But way before that, I watched MTV. You know, my, my sister was much older than me. She watched MTV. I was a kid, so, you know, it's like... Uh, you know, if you have an older sibling, this is how it works. You want to watch cartoons and they can punch you in the face. So you end up watching MTV because that's how it worked. Um, so <laughs> so um, I watched a lot of MTV as a young kid. And and um, he said Stein, I, Susan says Stein, Strandberg or Steinberger. It says Steinberg. I'm assuming he means Steinberger. Uh, Jinx means Steinberger. They mean, but... Um, but we can cover Strandberg too. But back to the thing. So to me, uh, Steinberger, everybody's going to have a different Steinberger person. See, everybody has a different guitar. means a different thing to them. To me, Steinberger, Vito Brada. You know, and he had the white one. I was like, oh, that was cool. <laughs> and so that's what it was for me. So every guitar, it's really associated to an MTV video. Think how crazy this is. Talk about how, how crazy your subconscious can be. I have always wanted a BC Rich Gunslinger because of the band Warrant. The very first concert I ever saw was in 1989, and I saw Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood Tour, and Warrant open for them. I was not a big Warrant fan. I really didn't know them. We just went because it was Motley Crue, right? Again, older sibling, you know, they were wanted to go see Motley Crue. I'm like, I'm going to go see Motley Crue, right? That's the thing you go see. So, and I thought uh, Warrant was great. That was a great show that night. Um, and I enjoyed it. It was my first concert and it was, it was a rock and roll concert. And it's like, 
you know, I don't even know how to explain it to you. You know, I do. You're thousand of you. I've obviously been to went to your first concert. You know the experience. Here's what's interesting. They were playing gunslingers. I didn't know that, but they had all these custom painted gunslingers. And I thought it was really cool. Um, so I became a uh, Warren fan. Um, here is why this is funny. I don't remember this at all, at all. But I, it must have been in my self, uh, subconscious because, as you guys have mentioned many times, that I've always wanted a Beast Rich Gunslinger. Um, the Kiesel that I just ordered is, I spec'd it exactly like a Gunslinger. That same headstock, reverse, you know, just like a Gunslinger. I even did the diamonds, right? I tried to make it as close to the Gunslinger as possible. Several, I did two pickups, but still. But here's what's funny. Warrant, I believe it's Uncle Tom's Cabin. I didn't realize this until about eight months ago. That in that video, the guitar one of the guitar players is playing a copper gunslinger. And I was watching the video. It was like the first time I've seen it, but I had seen it a thousand times before. And I was like, is he playing? I stopped my, like, stop my wife from whatever she's doing. I go, is he playing a copper gunslinger? And she's like, yeah. And I go, I don't remember them ever playing a copper gunslinger. I go, that's crazy. And I talk about the fact that I'm totally... Uh, MTV generation person, like all these videos, you know, these, you know, what guitars they had, you know, got me excited. And I'm like, so I guess now I know why I like gunslingers and why I like copper guitars. I just never, I mean, what are the odds that that's the video did it, but it's just weird. So I must've. So, um, so to answer your question, uh, you know, color wise, I tend to always pick guitars that are somehow connected that way. You know, um, I have a white, um, uh, Parker fly. It's because Dave Navarro. That's ex exactly why I have it. So, <laughs> so, I mean, you could go through all my guitars and I can literally go, okay. Cause, cause of that guitar player, cause of that, you know, cause like the first time I saw this color was that first time I did this, you know, um, or album covers, to be honest with you, album covers, uh, did it for me too. I, uh, like I see an album cover. So, and that's, I guess, you know, you just want that stuff for that reason. Um, okay. Uh, this is from Joe. It says, is it necessary to get a different setup if you want to experiment with eight gauge strings? Um, if you have nines, you could probably get away with eights. If you have tens on your guitars, my guess is when you put the eights, the the, the strings are going to lay on the deck, so to speak. The necks just got too too much tension, so you're going to have to release some of the truss the tension on the truss rod. Um, you know, people are going to probably say the intonation is going to be out. It's possible, and it's going to be slightly out. But, I mean, uh, sometimes, you know, if you want to try the experiment, just I would say if you want to throw eights on a guitar, if it is set up for nines, you may have to do a, a little bit of relief, quarter turn or so, on the truss rod, and that'll be enough to play it and get the experience of it, and you'll be fine. Um, if you have tens, same thing, just a little bit of relief in the truss rod, but you might experience some rattle in the strings on the nut because the the the... the slots are a little too wide, but again, it'll get you through and you can play it. Um, I would not mess with the intonation or do anything until you know you love eights and you're, you want to be there and making adjustments. For those of you uh, intonation freaks, um, I, I, I will tell you um, a little private funny story. I just recently had a couple months ago with a well-respected, two, two highly <laughs> well-respected luthiers and a guitar tech who is also world-renowned, and we were talking about how the fact that uh, we all believe 
that through our life experiences of working with guitars, we believe that about 70% of you guitar players cannot tell if a guitar is intonated or not. And it wasn't, we weren't making fun of you, guitar players, but we were talking about the fact that most guitar players that think they have this amazing ear for intonation does not have it. Um, uh, you know, even uh, one of the most famous guitars in the world, the Eddie Van Halen Frankenstein, is not intonated correctly, and it wasn't when it was recorded, and it's not and correctly intonated correctly to this day. Um, so there you go. So like I said, intonation is important, but you can get, you know, it depends on what you're playing. You can get away with a lot without worrying about how finite the intonation is uh, if you just want to experiment with something. So that's what I'm just trying to say. For those of you that can hear it, you're going to say something in the comments. Please do. <laughs> it's good for you. So um, let's see. Um, let's see. Okay, you know what we gotta do is we gotta, before I forget these, refresh that. Good time for me to drink some water. Okay, I just wanna thank Richie for the super chat. I appreciate that. Antique Rocker says, last fall I purchased a Nexbrew Telecaster Tough Dog copy made by a local luthier. I just finished installing a Mojo four-way harness and Texas special pickups. Thanks for your advice. Oh man, thank you so much. You know, it's like those those are the those are the things that fill the soul, don't you? You you know, um, you know. Um, do, do I like it when you guys go, hey, I saw your video about this pedal and I bought it, and thanks for that. And I go, I, that feels really good. But man, it always feels better when somebody's like, hey, I did this. Uh, I did the, your trick with the fret file, or I did this. You know, or I did some electronics. Or even if it's not me, I get a lot of uh, compliments indirectly, which is great. And um, which which is like, I watched a couple of your videos and it got me excited. And then I found this other channel who does like deep, you know, repair videos, and I learned a lot about repair. And you started the journey. And I'm always always. Uh, uh, super humble, uh, you know, brought, you know, it makes me humble because I'm just like, I feel good that I brought somebody to the start of something like that. Um, so whether I did it or so, yes, led you down the road, I, I'm always love hearing it. Uh, John says, great seeing you in person at the Kiesel Connect event. Thank you, John, man. It was great seeing you too. Like I said, it was great seeing all you guys. Um, it was really cool. Um, I know because not everybody's like, uh, you know, wasn't at the event. Not everybody's Kiesel. And this is the problem when you do the weekly show. Uh, when you do a weekly show, whatever happens that week, we talk about it the most. And then people are like, ah, I'm so sick of hearing about PRS this week or whatever launched. And so I was going to uh, spend some time at the end of the show on some some stuff at the Kiesel event. Share some, some, should I, I'll share some cool stuff, you know, like I said, not just stuff that, uh, you know, if you weren't, if you were there, you wouldn't know because there was some, there was crazy things that happened uh, that were fun. Uh, so, and uh, just fun stuff to share. So I'll share towards the end. Uh, Jeremy says, hey, I've got an, uh, I think it's Avery Telly. I don't know what this is. A an Avery. I want to say, okay. I got to tell you with a maple neck, seven and a quarter radius tinted polyclear coat refret uh, from vintage frets. Okay. So to, he went from vintage to narrow talls. Uh, worth it? Just buy a new neck. Oh, okay. So he hasn't done this. Jeremy's asking if he should do this. Should he refret from vintage frets to narrow talls? Is it worth it? It's worth it if you do it because uh, it's just some time and fret material. Uh, fret jobs now are pretty expensive. Um, you'll never get that money back out of it. And once you refret it, 
uh, unless the guitar has no value, which then you don't get that anyways, um, you've actually devalued it. Um, think about this. E even famous guitars that have been refretted, it hurts their value. You know, guitar players are kind of like a refret. It's a, kinda, it's, it's a scary word for a lot of guitar players. You know, um, it's not as bad as broken headstock repair. <laughs> like this guitar has had a broken headstock repair. But when you see a guitar, like if you're on reverb and it says, guitar is in perfect condition, plays great, sounds great, and it's been refretted, you're apprehensive. So my suggestion to you is, uh, is if you can refret it yourself, do it for sure. Um, cause cost wise, you're going to devalue the guitar a little bit, but at least you're not out a ton of money. Um, refrets I'm out there in the market and, and man, it's just, they're, they're getting pretty expensive. And what's worse is when they're not expensive and you hear a good deal, a lot of those are going to be bad experiences because there's always someone who's willing to try their first refret with your guitar or try their second or third. Um, so the best thing about fenders and I, you know, and those type guitars is you can buy aftermarket necks. You can buy a dream neck from 10 different suppliers, everybody from, you know, uh, Maxim Guitar Works in Colorado to Warmoth to All Parts to, you can buy aftermarket fender necks, um, you can buy Stratosphere where they're parting out fender necks. And uh, so I would just be, so my advice to you is before you pay for the refret, get the price on the refret, take that price and go see what necks are out there. And here's what's great. If you end up paying the same, so let's say a refret's $300 and the neck, replacement neck's $300, you could put the replacement neck on there. Put the old, usually you get a box when you get your replacement neck. Put the old neck in the box. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Just put it in a nice, uh, safe, dry you know, safe place. And uh, in a year or two, if you decide you don't want the guitar, swap the necks, you still have an aftermarket neck, you put the original neck on the guitar, things go great. I would suggest that before, unless of course you can do the refret yourself. And then then you can't buy a neck as cheap as you can refret a guitar. Uh, Mike says, new guitar day, PRS McCarty S2 Black Nitro single cut, great playing guitar. And your video on comparing the core versus the S2 was helpful. I played both and the core was uh, not 2K better to me. Yeah, you know, that's that's where I land with this stuff. You know, I love the core stuff, but it's, it's an elite kind of thing. You know, I don't find the core, you know, I hear guys all the time. I hear, I see the comments. You know, anytime I mention the S2s, I think are, you know, I must say good enough guitars. The funny, the irony of, of PRS is, is that I'm not a big private stock fan. They're just too much for me. Like I had a friend call it furniture. It's just too much like fancy furniture. I don't need fancy furniture. So that's why I don't, I don't get into private stock. Uh, the money's crazy, but then of course, you know, um, core, I have this compulsion, like a lot of players that have, um, you know, no sense like me <laughs> just to go, I need a core. It's such, it's an iconic guitar. Um, but my S2 right there, I mean, I play my S2s and I, not only do I think they're great, but sometimes I play them and I compare them to the Nags guitars I have. And I go, the Nags and the S2s vibe the same way. And then what's funny is I think Joe Nags, a lot of his designs, when he designed stuff at PRS that were very like S2 vibed, I think PRS is using those now. So I think if you ever want, I, I just call it what it is. I own a couple Nags. I, call, I own a, P, a couple PRS S2s. And other than probably pickups comparisons, the feel and the look is very similar. So I like the S2s a lot. I like them better than the cores. So as a whole. So um, I do prefer some of the cores pickups and of course, some of the details and fit and finish on the cores a little bit, a little bit nicer for sure. But like you said, I don't know if I can get the, the difference of the 2K number. 
Um, Vim69, thank you so much, he said, for the vet fund. Man, thank you. Pre, uh, appreciate that so much. Uh, you know, like I said, um, uh, you know, like I said, it's been a tough thing, man. It's been weird. It's, uh, it's like I said, I'm something I try not to talk about on the show because it just bums you out. Other than, here's the good news. Uh, we did... I'm just two, two, two seconds on this. My dog, as I, as I told you, has seizures. What happened when we came back from the Kiesel event, um, my wife and I didn't pretty much sleep for two days straight because when we got back, he had what's called clusters where he has tons of seizures, like one after another. They're really bad. And uh, it's a really bad experience to do once. I mean, when they're once every three weeks or a month, it's a bad experience, but to see multiples in a day. So obviously we had to take them to the urgent care. You're there for hours and hours. It's just like a regular urgent care. You're just there for hours and hours sitting in their waiting room and then, then they need to keep them overnight. And it's, like I said, it's an expensive endeavor. The good news is they think with this new um, variety of drugs, we might keep him a little longer. Like I said, we we have very realistic expectations. We want him to have the best quality of life for as long as we can have it with him. He's six years old. He started having seizures when he was two. So he's had them now for four years and through a really good diet and just, you know, everything we've done. And, you know, uh, he's had a good quality four years. Is And so we want, they think he could have a couple more years left. You know, um, it's not realistic for him to last as long. Like our other dog's 14. He's not going to be 14. It's just, it has nothing to do with anything other than that's the downfall of these kind of things. But as long as, you know, uh, so it's, it's tough to watch him go through this, but also, you know, as like I said, it's, it's crazy. You know, you lose a lot of sleep because, you know, he's having a seizure at like two o'clock in the morning and the process takes, uh, you know, it's, it's the ordeal can last hours and why, you know, and then, so I appreciate that. It's been, uh, yeah. But we're on, I think he's, like I said, they've given us more good news than bad news, and I'm, I'm happy to take it. Uh, Scott says, uh, just to say thanks, I appreciate that. Grumpy Mike Guitar says, for the vet fund and why not? I dig that Gretch, I dig the Gretch behind you. There's just something about that Gretch with the Bigsby. So this Gretch is um, is a Gretch, uh, uh, oh, what is it? It's a... Um, uh, 6118 LTV. So I believe LTV stands for a lacquer tremolo. I don't know what V stands for. Vibrato. I don't know. Tremolo vibrato. I don't know. Um, they, all the letters in Gretsch usually mean something. So I'm pretty sure that's what that means. So this, uh, probably throws you off. If you look, if you pay attention to this Les Paul next to it, they're about to they're about the same size. They look. This one looks bigger. I think it's close to you. So it's a Gretsch. It's just smaller. This is um, why I got a full size Gretsch because I love this Gretsch. I play it all the time, but it's a smaller body. It's a junior. So um, one of the worst things about that Gretsch is that um, it's this really cool. See the pickguard? It's like the pickguard's this uh, gold green color. That's what the back of the guitar and the sides and the back of the neck look like. I don't know why they did it this way. It's like when you see the back of the guitar, it looks really cool. And then the front's just basically black. But I love this Gretsch a lot. Um, I, I, and I got my full size now. And I like them both for different reasons. So hopefully, maybe I'll do a comparison of the two. Full size versus a junior Gretsch. So I don't know. Um, but um, but thanks. Thanks, Grumpy Mike. Uh, Greg says, hey, Phil, any recommendations for a hardware store, for a hardware store stand-in for Stumac Fret Leveler? Um, yeah, I, yeah, yes, of course. Uh, as always, thanks for sharing all the wisdom. I hope you and everyone watch, uh, have a good, great weekend. Look, if you want to level frets, you need a good crowning file. Okay. 
Um, this is this is the best advice I can give you when it comes to leveling and crowning frets. Because remember, that's the order which we're going to do it. We're going to level and then crown, even though we always call it crown and level. Um, buy a good. If I was going to say buy a level, you know, good leveling, you know, don't buy a good leveling file or whatever. Buy um, all you need is a uh, something flat and straight. So you can use a, a steel beam. Um, you can use. I mean, any. I mean, people sometimes would wood, wood blocks as long as it's perfectly flat, and that's pretty much what it matters. And then you just use sandpaper. When you go to factories, they're not using fancy tools on those guitars. They're using lots of sandpaper. You buy yourself a five thousand dollar guitar. I guarantee you, a lot of the fretwork was done with just sandpaper. They're tooling through. They're going through lots of sandpaper. Um, it's how they cut down the 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 work. Um, so, but the crowning, you definitely have to have a good file. Um, the 11 says a Stumac Z file. I have the Z file. I really like it. I'm very excited to check out, um, Music Nomad's new crowning file. If you haven't seen it, they have a new crowning file that basically says you can't mess it up. It's like dummy proof. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. They got a long way of saying it, but it's like, you know, you can't mess it up. You can't mess up a crown with this. Um, so I'm very interested in that. Um, so, uh, and sharing that. So that's one of those things. I might buy one that we talked about this on the way home, me buying one and doing a quick video with it to see how well it does. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, just get a, a metal level and get some sandpaper. Like I said, it's not that hard. The the metal beam that Stu Max sells that's insanely expensive, which I bought. <laughs> but like I said, I bought it because I was working on guitars and I can make that money back within a, within a repair or two. I can make the money back and quality tools, like I said, I don't regret buying quality tools for especially if I'm making a living with it. But if you're at home, definitely, you know, just find yourself a quality level piece of metal. I mean, you can do a ton of different things. Uh, so there's no real issue there. And then use sandpaper. So it's, uh, it's not, you won't, no, no, no issues. The skill is actually more important than the tools. So you'll get farther with that. You'll get farther with doing as many as you can than you will with having good tools. Okay. Um, I feel like recapping. What did we learn today? Skills are more important than tools and trolls only live in the internet. <laughs> these, are the, these are the lessons we've learned. So let's go with it. Uh, how are we doing on time? We're doing good. Um, Ah, Eddie Jr. says, what about leveling frets with a radius block? I have uh, I have every kind of radius block. I have the wood ones and I have steel ones. And of course, I have a custom set of steel uh, radius blocks. I think I've shared them a long time ago with the video. They're different than what uh, Stumac sells. These were custom made by, by a friend who's a machinist. And he made this for me as a gift. And they're amazing. Um, and um, you don't need them. You can't. I mean, they're nice. Again. I mean, if I had to, I could give you a, a, a really good fret level and crown with, I mean, if you just gave me a, a, a nice, a, I mean, if you gave me a six inch ruler, a thick, one of those thick wood rulers, it'd have to be pretty thick. I need like a half inch thick, something that's not going to flex a lot, something like that, um, pre preferably, you know, something made of steel. Um, I only need it to be about an inch wide and at least... I'd say 12 inches long, eight, eight, eight to 12 inches long. And if I put sandpaper on that, I can level the frets fine. So, 
uh, again. And, and keep in mind, there's reasons why you want different tools. So this is why it's important when you're paying attention, you're watching channels to watch why different channels do the same thing, things the way they do. Luthery channels will teach you how to build and repair channels will teach you how to fix. Don't confuse the two things. Uh, you know, um, yeah, one of the things I love is like Matt at Texas Toast has said, he's not a repair guy, he's a builder. And I've, had, I've told you, I had a, a, a really interesting conversation one day. We were talking about the differences of our jobs and our tools and why I have these tools. And he, think of this, I mentioned a couple of tools to him. He didn't even know what they were. Not because he doesn't know what those tools are. You know, he doesn't know anything about tools. It's because in his world, those tools are not important. Me, if I didn't have those tools, I would literally not be able to function. Um, obviously, I don't use a pen router. <laughs> Right, I'm not ra I'm not. I'm not building anything. I'm fixing things. So the the tools and the skills that you develop are going to be different. Um, you know, we the that that conversation to re recap the interesting part of the conversation was, I was discussing how he was telling me a situation, and I said, oh, I would fix it by doing this, and he said, I'm not going to fix it. I'm just going to make a new one. I can make a new one in half the time it takes to fix it. And I go, oh, well, I can't make a new one. So of course I fix it. Plus, in my scenarios. Um, the person wouldn't want a new one. They would want theirs fixed, right? So in his scenario, it's a new guitar. So just make a new part. In my scenario, the customer would want their guitar fixed. So um, you can do, um, um, you can do, you know, a lot with just a few tools when it comes to minor repairs. Um, so when talking about people talking about radius blocks, all that stuff, that stuff is really from the start. Most guitars, when you get them, I, I don't care what the brand is and stuff. Some of the tooling has already been done to the guitar. Some of the fretwork has already been done. So you're just correcting their mistakes. You're not trying to start from scratch. So you shouldn't have to like do the whole fretboard, do everything, you know, go crazy with stuff. So I hope that kind of makes sense. So like I said, that's why I said in a repair world, the first and most important skill is diagnostics. That is that is your number one skill. You perfect that first because that's where you'll spend all of your, that's where you'll lose all of your money trying to figure out what's wrong with something, trying to figure out what's the proper course of action to fix it. You, you don't want to spend time with that. You want to be very good at diagnosing the problem and then and then be getting really good at fixing the problems you diagnose. So, all right, there you go. Okay. Um, Papa Steve says, Les Paul in the middle setting, both pickups, volume cuts in half. Someone said phasing out, but I can't figure out any advice. Well, yeah, if they're out of phase would have a drop, perceivable, you know, you would, you would perceive it as a drop in volume. Um, it would get a lot thinner too. That's usually not a thing that happens with humbuckers. They usually, hmm, interesting. In the middle setting, volume cuts in half. Um, I'm also afraid that something else is going on in that, you know, in the electronics and something's grounding out. I would, what would I do? I, mean, I would want to jump those pickups together and bypass that switch to see if they do it without that switch. So the thing about three-way toggle switches is they're really problematic. So remember I was talking about diagnosing the problem? See, it could be a ton of things going on with the wire, okay? But in my experience, three-way switches are crap. 
good ones are problematic. You know, I, it, it's getting to the point now where when I hear the, the AMP community, you know, the AMP builders talk about tubes and how it's becoming a problem. That's how I feel about certain electronic components like three-way switches. It's getting really hard to find ones that aren't a problem. In the middle position, you really shouldn't have a whole lot of issues, but I almost want to make sure that switch isn't doing something wacky. So I'm not telling you to replace the switch, but maybe try to see if you can bypass it and see if the problem continues with that, without the switch in the, in the circuit. Um, if another quick fix that could be fast is, especially if you have a two conductor pickup, well, it doesn't matter if it's four conductor, two conductor, take one of the pickups, doesn't matter which one, you can just take the bridge and take the hot and the ground and swap the terminals. So in other words, take the ground, take the hot wire, desolder it, stick it to the ground pot, where it's pot, you know, grounded to the pot, take the hot, uh, ground wire and put it to the hot and then put it in the middle position and see if that solves the problem right away. That would be a fast fix too. Again, these are quick fixes. Like I said, you're just trying to diagnose the issue. I would say that's a fast check. And then after that, I would check to see if bypassing the three-way switch um, and making them, you know, running them to out, out without the switch, uh, see if that solves it too. That might help as well. Um, Radfurry23 says, oh, thank you. He's a, he's a member. Uh, any opinions on headless guitar bridges? I'm building one and I can't decide what bridge to incorporate. I'd love it to be a tremolo if possible. I really like the hip shot stuff. That's really where I, I, I really like it. Um, you know, I haven't tried every headless, uh, you know, bridge and, you know, electron uh, componentry out there, you know, hardware, but, um, you know, the, you know, Stramberg stuff's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's really proprietary to him, but it's fine. Um, all the other stuff I found on Amazon, it's fine. Everything's fine. I really like hip shot stuff. Like if I was going to do it, I would do, I would do all hip shot. I really like hip shots quality. I like their pricing for the most part. Um, and, uh, good stuff. So it's an easy thing for me to recommend that way. Super lead 100 says, Hey Phil, I'm direct mounting pickups and I don't know exactly size screws to use any advice. So that is tricky because you have to figure out how deep the bottom of the route is to the back of the guitar. And this is very and very important. And then another thing that happens is you've got to make sure because sometimes when they route the, the pickup, the hole for the pickup, remember they route two deeper holes on each side, uh, for the, 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 the screw mounts of the pick of the pickup. Um, and if that gets really shallow, you're going to have to really use a really shallow. In fact, if they have those, I wouldn't even do it unless of course. Um, so how do you do that? Well, here's how you do it. It makes sense. Super lead. Um, what you're going to want to do is, um, you can use your caliper, but, uh, uh, any kind of measuring tool will work. You want to measure how thick the body is, and then you want to measure the deepest part of that, um, cavity. And then of course, yeah, subtract those two numbers and the difference is what you've got left. And then what I would do is at the very least, I would say a quarter inch. You want your screw at the deepest it can go to be a quarter inch away from the back of the guitar. Um, and, uh, cause you know, Hey, cautionary tale. How many times have you guys uh, seen, you know, a, a reverb listing and they show the back of the guitar and there's two freaking screws sticking out of the back of the guitar because somebody used too deep of a screw. So that's what you want to do. Just like I said, measure the thickness of the body, measure the depth of the, uh, the pocket, uh, the, the pickup cavity. And then like I said, that will give you a, a gauge of where it is, but try to keep it very shallow. So, um, there you go. So be careful. You, it's one of those things. Once you mess it up, man, it's a nasty mess because those holes, man, fixing that is not fun. Um, 
Ben says, hey, Phil, another day, another viewer who got a great deal on a guitar. I never would have thought to ask if it weren't for you. Uh, it's a Furch S24SR, amazing acoustic. They are amazing acoustics. I have my Furch videos about to launch. So very cool. I have two acoustic videos. I have the Emerald acoustic video, and I have a Furch acoustic video coming very soon. Uh, Johnny says, hey, Phil, what's the point of blade humbuckers? How are they different to pull pieces? And what's the trade-off? So the main difference is there's two reasons why you have blade humbuckers. Um, the biggest reason, of course, is there's this theory, um, and, and I say theory, but it's, I mean, it's true, but I mean, it's just theory. Theory is that, um, you know, obviously, especially when you're talking about humbucker style pickups. So what you have is a, a long magnet on the uh, underneath the pickup and then you have essentially six screws or six screws or wait I said screws six slugs or six screws or two sets of screws or two sets of slugs but whatever it is they're touching the magnet and then because they're touching the magnet the magnetic field like I always said picture it like a little flame like uh, coming off a lighter right so you have six slugs or screws and I want you to think of the magnetic field like coming it looks kind of like you know little ovals vertically above the each uh, magnet of uh, each of uh, screw or slug. I'm sorry. The theory being that, okay, so the string's directly over that. So it's in that magnetic field. And as you bend the string, as you bend the string, uh, flat or sharp, you're taking it slowly away from the magnetic field, kind of like moving your mouth away from the microphone, right? And then back to the microphone. So the string's here, and then this is the string. So when every time you bend, you're essentially going, this is the note. This is the note, right? Um, now, in theory, you could be bending into the next magnetic <laughs> bolt piece, but but that's you know that's not really the idea. So the idea is that if you take a solid piece of metal and you put it the length of the pickup, uh, whether it's a flat bar or a thin blade, it doesn't matter what it is. Now the magnetic field, because the magnet's touching that, the magnetic field is this one big oval essentially uh, going lengthwise. Uh, doesn't matter where you go, you're in the spectrum as this microphone. As I move around, you're, nothing's changing. Doesn't matter. I'm never leaving the magnetic field, just like I would never be leaving the area of this microphone. Um, so that is the theory of why they do that. Um, so, uh, and, and of course it looks cool. They all don't, I mean, let's not take that away from it. Some people just want that look. So some pickup manufacturers just uh, did it for the aesthetic. It's really cool. Um, so, I mean, Bill Lawrence started that stuff, you know, because Bill Lawrence started with using ceramic magnets and then he uses the blade pickup. Um, I, I, this is a really good story. Larry DiMaggio told me, but that's where he got his very first ceramic, ceramic magnets was from Bill Lawrence. He was doing uh, work from Bill for Bill Lawrence and essentially he was able to get a few of the magnets that Bill Lawrence was using because, uh, you know, I don't want to say Bill gave them to him. It's a long story. <laughs> somebody owed somebody money. I don't know what it was. Right. <laughs> so anyways, he got magnets. OK. And then he started putting them in pickups and trying them. And of course, the Super Distortion uses uh, a row of slugs and screws um, or two rows of screws. Um, but uh, that's why you would use the blade. Um, Carvin, Mark at Carvin. Uh, Mark is uh, Jeff Kiesel's dad. So. Uh, Mark had designed a pickup for Carvin, I believe. And um, um, I always say it has 12. I think it actually has 11 screws. I think that's the wacky thing about it. Does anyone remember? It's funny. We always say 12. And I'm pretty sure it's an 11 screw pickup. <laughs> I'm going to type it in right here because it's going to make me crazy. Because I think there is a 12, but I think there's also the Carvins are 11. 
So let's do some counting. One, two, three, four. Here, well, you guys can watch. We'll, we'll count together. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. It's eleven. So I remember, I think uh, Mark m mentioned it or somebody at Kiesel mentioned to me once that it was 11. And I, but my brain just thinks 6, 6 to 12, right? It's double, but it's 11. So for those of you, it's 11 screws. Um, the Carvin fans know this. Uh, <laughs> if you're a huge Carvin fan, you always seem to know it's 11. But it's uh, but the rest of us are like 12. Even knowing it's 11, I, I just say 12 because my my brain just thinks double six. Uh, and that was the same thing. And if you think about it, let's go back to it. Uh, essentially, it's no different than a blade pickup, right? It's just, look at that. I mean, the, the strings, you know, I mean, the, the field is bigger than the screw. Or, so the field would basically, it's continuous. So this whole field is going to be where I'm circling right here. So that's why they do that. Um, now, I said that's a theory because... Uh, Although it's true, scientifically, that's what's happening. You know, I mean, people notice. Could you notice? I have both pickups. I've, As you know, I can drop them in a guitar and swap on the fly, and I can't hear it. I don't hear the, oh, no. And I think the reason I say it's, uh, in theory, the idea makes sense. In practice, though, the reality is, although I did this thing where I got away from the microphone. Here, I get the microphone. Although I did this thing where I get away from the microphone, I go, see, it's different over here than it is here. Uh, I think because of the way the string works, you don't bend. Like I said, the string, the magnetic field is slightly bigger than the pole piece. And you're really never out of that field for, you know, you know, I don't even know. Like I said, it's just you're right into the next magnetic field, and I don't think it does a fading. I don't think there is that effect. Not that I can hear. But I bet you, and this is back to the science versus your ear, I bet you if we put it on some kind of analyzer, it would show that it's happening, but could us mortals hear it? We would hear nothing. Yeah, uh, the bone box says the problems with the blades is they're not being height adjustable. See, I mean, there's drawbacks to every design in pickups, and there's an advantage to every design in pickups. I mean, um, you know, there you, there you go. Most people don't, most people who don't like blade pickups don't like them because, um, you know, they usually use a ceramic magnet, and uh, ceramic magnets are very, very aggressive, and they tend to be um, uh, brighter sounding because of that so and they you know just different um uh, michael says reverend claims that the blade gives you tighter base well of course because remember we talked about the ingredients of a pickup right so we know the windings uh is going to increase the resistance and we know the thickness of the wire of course also has uh, a play in that and the resistance is essentially going to reduce those high frequencies right and um, the magnet can also have an effect on how much the high frequencies uh, or the low frequencies get, um, I want to say get noticed. That's probably a better, better way of saying it. Um, so sure, could, could changing the, the field, changing the shape of the field. We've talked about this. Um, I, I always talk about the tele pickup, you know, one of the things about having a, 
like a tele pickup, the way it's designed is that you have those six individual, like I said, flames that are the magnetic fields, but then you have a smaller, lighter magnetic field that's like an oval going around the whole thing. Uh, and it does have an effect. So yeah, of course. Uh, does it do that? I don't know. I've never tried it, but when they're claiming it does, I'm sure, again, they're, it's their recipe and they're basically saying this is how they put it together. Sure, that can make sense. I mean, all those recipes do change it a little bit. So, um, Luke says, hey, Phil, how are the bolt-on keezels? I prefer bolt-on guitars, so I like the bolt-on keezels. I don't think I have, oh, I have one. I have one neck through keezel, which is my single cup bevel. All of my other keezel, keezel guitars are bolt-ons. So, um, I like bolt-ons. Uh, although I'm hoping to try the Tim Miller guitar. So, this is a good way. Let's get these last two, two super chats out of the way, and then I'll tell you the, the funny some funny Kiesel stories. Maybe they're funny. I don't know. Not really selling it, am I? Uh, okay, we got Destructo. Destructo. Des. Destructo says, Phil, I just bought my first tube amp, Orange Rocker 32. It's got me thinking. As time goes on and we have climate issues, do you think using tube amps will be frowned on because of the energy consumption? I think we're a small problem. One thing that's great, look, yes, the answer is yes, of course, right? Of course, there's going to be there's going to be grief over all that stuff, right? Um, they're they are wasteful stuff, right? They produce a lot of heat, they suck a lot of juice, they're uh, not practical. It's not a practical item. It's not like your dishwasher. <laughs> there's no tube amp that's going to have an Energy Star sticker on it because it's. But uh, will it be? Will it be frowned upon? I'm sure it will be, but will it be an issue? It's kind of like rosewood, right? The rosewood became a major issue, and then, of course, guitar guitar gun exemption to the rosewood sidey's ruling, which is why we're allowed to use rosewood, even though it's still got all the siding ruling for the furniture makers stuff. It's because in the grand scheme of things, I mean, you, you got to understand, these aren't iPhones. They're not making tube amps in that volume. They're not making stuff in the volume where it's uh, problematic. So... Um, although we've already seen, you know, like some of the European countries have, you know, putting laws in effect and yeah, in the long term, could there be a tax on having a tube amp? Could you, you know, sure all that stuff. But, um, I think that for what it does in the small amount of group of people who use it, it's just not, uh, very practical. Plus you gotta understand there's also, again, I'm not, I'm just not a, I don't know, right? I'm not a political channel. I don't understand the world, anything. I just know guitar stuff. Um, but one thing you always have to figure out, remember, is that we are, musicians are a trade. And because we are a trade, there's always, um, there are always exceptions for trades, people. So it's why they have, it's why we're allowed to bring our guitars on planes. You know, it's just, it's, it's because it's a tool. Um, but it's a great question and who knows the answer, but I don't think it's going to be a big issue anytime soon. Uh, Craig says, Hey, Phil, I just got my first Strat, a Fender humbucker single single. Oh, okay. I don't use the vibrato trim and I want to know if I should put some blocks in it or should I just as good? Oh, just as good. Leave it alone. Wondering about the effect on tuning stability. Well, it depends. You know, if you're not going to use the tremolo, you know, you don't have to block a tremolo. All you have to do is uh, loosen your strings a little bit. That's it. Just take all, you know, loosen all six strings um, down to whatever it takes to get the bridge to lay flat against the body. And then take the back plate off and take the two screws and tighten them down. And 
If you want, you can tighten them down just a little bit, or you can make sure you have four springs. I would do four. Um, so here's the math. If you have a 10 gauge set, I would do four. If uh, you you could all you could put all five if you want to, and that's what Steve Rayvon did for 11s. Anything 11s, I would do five. Uh, if you do nines, you could probably still leave it at three, but I would still put four. Make sure it has four springs, but five's not a problem. There's no overkill on this. Tighten it down just a little bit and then tune it back up. And what's going to happen is it's essentially blocked. It's going to be against the body. No matter what you do, it's not going to pull forward. Um, and then if your string action is a little low now to the neck, you're just going to raise the saddles just a little bit. That's it. And that will solve your problem, but I, you don't necessarily have to block it. It's a, and so, you know, that's more, I think, I personally think more fender strap players play with their bridge uh, essentially locked against the body than they do floating. In my experience setting up guitars, I would say it was 60-40 and I'm being nice. It's probably 70-30. 70% of guitar players that play strats just have the bridge against the body. They don't want it floating. And um, essentially that's that's blocked as far as your concern is because when you go to bend it, as long as when you bend it, it doesn't raise up, it's against the body. So there you go. Um, yeah, Sean says, uh, dude, I put five springs uh, much better. Yeah, like I said, there's no overkill on it. Perfect. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, and un unplayed video games. Thank you for $10. I just started playing video games again. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I don't really play video games, but I've been playing a little race race games with my wife. It's been fun. Um, so I figure I'll take this last couple minutes to talk about the Kiesel event, what, what was really interesting and different. So I got to meet all the Kiesel artists. So they had put a, a they made a green room for us. Uh, it was my first experience with a green room. So a green room was an area in the facility where we could go and all our stuff was there and they had snacks and, and, uh, waters and stuff. And, and, um, it was really cool. And, uh, they gave us, uh, like 20 bucks or something. I didn't even know about it. They gave my wife some cash to go to the food trucks. Um, but, um, I already told her I was going to eat during the event. I don't eat at the events, um, because, uh, um, every time I do, uh, like, I don't care if it's a damn show or whatever. Every time I eat anything, it, it's just like going to a restaurant. As soon as you take a bite, the the waiter waitress is like, hey, how's the meal? And you're like, good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Um, that's how it is with me. As soon as I take a bite of something, somebody's going to go, hey, New York here, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> so I just like, I screw it. So, um, but, uh, so it was really cool. And so I got to meet everybody. Um, uh, I, I got to, uh, there was Devin Townsend was there. Uh, there was... Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of everybody because it was everybody. <laughs> it's, you know, right? It's, it's, uh, in fact, you know what I'll do? Make my life a little easy. Because it's kind of funny. I don't have any great stories, so, you know, don't get your hopes up. But I do have a uh, maybe a couple nerdy ones. I, 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 de I definitely learned what kind of nerd I am. Um, so, um, Al Joseph was there. If you don't know Al Joseph, he's amazing. I'm going to have him come on the podcast. I'm going to share with you. So Al Joseph, if you don't know him, he's an amazing guitar player, but he also does lessons and dude, he's just a monster. Uh, Dean, uh, Lamb was there. He was very nice. He was there, I believe with his wife and she has, they have a YouTube channel and they were fantastic. Um, and, and again, there was more people there, but I'm talking about how I met, met, uh, Josh was amazing, a talented guy. And I, I got to meet him and talk to him. Uh, Sophie Lloyd was there and she's super nice again, super awesome. Uh, and I have different experiences than my wife because, um, 
she talked to some people more than I did and vice versa. Uh, Tim Miller uh, was at the event and he, I, I really had a great conversation with him, including ones at, after, at the after party, which I'll talk about. So, um, so again, so I got to meet a bunch of their artists, which were really cool. Um, and it was really surreal because I'm just this YouTube nerd in, you know, at my house going, Hey, I'm making videos, know your gear. And now I'm with these like artists. So it was kind of funny. Um, and they were, like I said, they were super cool. And we were like, it was really nice. Um, and one of the things that was kind of funny was I, uh, Devin Townsend was there and he was talking to Jeff Kiesel and they were talking and, uh, Devin came and performed. And then after the performance, he had to drive back to the NAMM show because he had another performance at the NAMM show. So he goes, I'm going back to the NAMM show. So I, who have never met Devin before and don't know anything, thought, well, I'm in the green room. <laughs> it's one thing you, you figure out. You're like, I'm here. They got, obviously, I've got the pass, you know. So I got, so obviously he knows I'm not like, I'm not like, you know, crashing. So I go, uh, I go, how's the NAMM show? And he goes, it's not that great. <laughs> and I said, really? And he's like, he goes, you know, again, so, you know, don't take any offense if you guys went to the damn show and loved it. He was, I'm sure to him, it's like, you know, if you're like a lot of us that's been to 20 NAMM shows, you know, it's not the same as it was. And even if it's great now, it's not the great it was. So you're going to look it through those eyes. But I said, oh, okay. And he, and I go, well, is it a good turnout? There's a lot of people. And he goes, there are a lot of people. But he goes, but it's open to the public. And I go, oh, it's open to the public? And he goes, yeah. And so this is what's funny. Um uh, I guess my nerdiness could not be hidden. So he goes, yeah, but it's like 300 bucks, which is ridiculous. And I go, I don't know. I'd, I'd pay 300 bucks to go look at a $200 pedal that I might buy. <laughs> and then he laughs. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I can't believe you said that. It's crazy. And what I mean, he can't, he's laughed. I mean, he was like, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry for you, man. No, no, I'm just kidding. He he just thought it was funny, and the, my nerdness came out, and uh, and that was uh, really cool. So, like I said, a cool experience. And then, um, and so it was nice meeting those uh, those musicians. And then I did my clinic, which everybody was super kind and nice, and and uh, I hung out after that. And then after the event, we went to um, uh, Stone Brewery, which I've been to many times with the other YouTubers, even and stuff. So we went to this uh, thing. We hung out there. Uh, it was very cool. I spent most of the night talking. Um, well, I talked to a bunch of people, but I mostly talked to Tim Miller. And um, uh, and I realized how fast and how drastically out of league I was when I was talking to Tim because um, I shouldn't tell his story. It's his story, but it was so funny for me because we're talking and talking about this experience and and you know and ha and and the event. And then uh, Tim Miller's like he's telling me, uh, you know, he's like, oh, uh, he's like, I got a text the other day. Um, from Eric Johnson, and all it was was, um, come to the show tonight, I want you to play a song with me, bring your distortion pedal. And uh, I'm like, uh... <laughs> and I'm like, uh... <laughs> yeah, that happens to me all the time. I Like, all the time, oh, yeah, duh. they always, like, Eric Johnson's like, come, come, Phil, bring your distortion pedal. And then, of course, I couldn't help but nerd out on him, too, Instead of, I go, how'd it go? And he goes, oh, it's good. You know, he's like, it's, you know, you're on stage with Eric Johnson. And I go, oh, yeah. And I go, what distortion pedal did you bring? <laughs> that's the way, that's one thing I had to know. What what pedal was it? He's like, it was like a TS9. I go, ah, it's a good choice. Good choice. <laughs> so, um, so it was an interesting, interesting experience. Super, super crazy uh, and fun. And then, um, and then afterwards, there was like a smaller after get together at Jeff Kiesel's house, which was very crazy and fun. And so um, I was, I was super, super cool, and everybody was really nice there too. Um, so it was a, it was a good experience. Like I said, it was a lot of fun uh, for us. 
And, uh, and it was like I said, it was really cool to meet all those people. And I don't know that story. I just thought I'd share. That's what, that's what the event for me was hanging out with you guys all day. And then I got to hang out with all our artists all night. And like I said, Al Joseph, I said, Hey, you need to come on my channel. We'll do a podcast. And he's like, all right, so we're going to do that. Um, but, uh, but yes. And then, uh, somebody asked, what was the, one of the questions? Uh, Telly driver wants to go, did any musicians attend your clinic? No, no, I'm just kidding. I would assume they're all musicians. I, I, didn't get the impression if there was more than one or maybe two people. Um, when I say impressions, if I was going to gauge my view of the clinic, you know, looking at the group, I would say maybe one or two people probably weren't musicians. And I say that because, you know, you can tell in somebody's face when they're confused by what you're saying. Like they're, you know, like if you say something and then they're like, they're not, they're not cueing in to the, to the terminology, but everybody else, I'm sure. And it was a good um, different group of age group. It was really fun. Like I said, it was it's very humbling experience. Uh, so you guys know, I don't I don't know what to say. Um, uh, you know, it's nuts. I mean, people. Some people uh, flew out to see the event. Some people drove, you know, a long way to come to the event. Um, people, a uh, person flew from Germany to come to the event. So it was like really crazy, and you know, and um, so it was really really nice. So like I said, it was uh, it was a different experience than I've ever experienced. I've never had an experience like that particular experience before, although I've done other events. They were usually always uh, encapsulated and removed from the public. This one was very much so for the public. This is for viewers uh, or buyers of keys or whatever, right? right? It, was, was, it was for you guys. It wasn't like a bunch of YouTubers and a bunch of artists running around for this over all those other events. I would never, I, I would never pick... If given a choice to just hang out with people who like um, what you do and come hang out for a day versus just hang out with a bunch of other channels and make content, I would absolutely do this again. Although you don't make any content, so there's no money to be made on that spectrum, just the, this is amazing. So like I said, it was amazing. Lewis says, I drove 450 miles. One guy came from Naples, or Naples. Oh yeah, Naples. Yeah, it was crazy. Like I said, it was a really cool event and I appreciate everybody who came out to it. And so I thought I'd share my two nerdy stories. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. As always, you guys are awesome. And uh, I don't know. Where do we go now? I guess we just end the show. Today's episode is sponsored by Moon Pie Guitars. 